Proceed. Thank you. John Weathersby will be preaching out of Genesis chapters, chapter 6, verse 9, through Genesis chapter 7, verse 9. I'm going to read the entirety of that section of Scripture. So if you would, turn there in your Bibles. There are a few Bibles that are available. Genesis chapter 6, starting in verse 9. These are the generations of Noah... Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God, and Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Jephthah. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with violence. And God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh, for the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark and cover it inside and out with pitch. This is how you are to make it. The length of the ark, 300 cubits. Its breadth, 50 cubits. Its height, 30 cubits. Make a roof for the ark. Finish it to a cubit above. And set the door of the ark in its side. Make it with lower, second, and third decks. For behold, I will bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh in which is the breath of life under heaven. Everything that is on the earth shall die, but I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall come into the ark, you, your sons, your wife, and your sons' wives with you. And of every living thing of all flesh, you shall bring two of every sort into the ark to keep them alive with you. They shall be male and female, of the birds according to their kinds, and of the animals according to their kinds, of every creeping thing of the ground according to its kind, two of every sort shall come in to you to keep them alive. Also take with you every sort of food that is eaten, and store it up. It shall serve as food for you and for them. Noah did this, and he did all that God commanded him. Then the Lord said to Noah, Go into the ark, you and all your household. For I have seen that you are righteous before me in this generation. Take with you seven pairs of all clean animals, the male and his mate, and a pair of the animals that are not clean, the male and his mate, and seven pairs of the birds of, he of the heavens, also male and female, to keep their offspring alive on the face of all the earth. For in seven days I will send rain on the earth, forty days and forty nights. Every living thing that I have made I will blot out from the face of the, of the ground, and Noah did all that the Lord had commanded him. Noah was six hundred years when the flood of waters came upon the earth. And Noah and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives with him into the, went into the ark to escape the waters of the flood, of clean animals and of animals that are not clean, of birds and of everything that creeps on the ground. Two and two, male and female, went into the ark with Noah as God had commanded Noah. These are the words of the, God, uh, words of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And let's take a moment for prayer. O oh, great Father, we come before you to hear your word exposited before us. Please be with John as he preaches this word. Please open our hearts to hear what you are saying and to hear your sovereignty being proclaimed, to hear the truth of your word as it is laid out in Scripture. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, good morning. Hopefully uh, everyone had a good Thanksgiving. Ate plenty of turkey if you fried one. Hopefully it was a very successful fry. Got it thawed out in time. Um, in our uh, passage this morning, we're going to be encouraged through the example of Noah to trust in God. I think that's a, a wonderful picture that jumps off the page and We'll see him referenced in uh, the great passage of faith in Hebrews chapter 11, but really trusting in God and trusting in his word um, is so central to this book of Genesis, this book of the beginnings. Um, we see the original sin, I can't say it enough, but the original sin in the garden was doubting God and doubting God's word. That was the sin. Um, did God really say was the question from the serpent, and the answer should have been, Absolutely he did, and I stand firm on that word, but that wasn't the answer. 
uh, the answer became 70 genders on Facebook. And so turning away from the simple truth of God's word and turning towards vain philosophies of men brought about great sin in the world. And that's why the world is like it is today, because it's not in the same kind of care of God, but it will be again in the future. And so we will be encouraged by this passage today to trust in God. We're encouraged to do that through, frankly, impossible circumstances. And then by being able, by God's grace, to see Noah ready to follow after God by faith. And it's easy to read that on the page, and it seems very simple. Yeah, of course Noah followed after God by faith. We forget that Noah was an old man. Some of you in the room today feel like an old man. And perhaps you're right, Deej. But by the standards of Scripture, by the age of Noah, we are yet fledgling buds on a growing plant. And so we'll be encouraged by this example of faith, I hope. In our first verses, we see that a quick glimpse at the generation's of Noah. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God. It's interesting to think of Noah being blameless in his generation, being righteous and walking with God. How did he become that way? It's a great question. It's not to say that Noah was sinless. We know that that would collide with Scripture, and Scripture doesn't collide with Scripture. We understand Scripture by looking at the rest of Scripture. We know that none is righteous. No, not one, as we look forward to Romans 3.10. Perhaps you would say, well, let's look at Old Testament references, and I'm glad you said that. So Psalm 14 and verse 1 says, The fool says in her, his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. They do abominable deeds. There is none who does good. In my family, we like to joke often and say, uh, um, well, well, we'll get to that reference in a minute. I'll, I'll bring that back out. Psalm 53 and verse 3. They have all fallen away. Together they have become corrupt. There is none who does good, not even one. This is the picture of a human in Scripture. This is why um, I love the way that Scripture speaks about us. It speaks so honestly to who we are, to who people are, to what personendom is and what it's like. It doesn't set someone up on a pedestal and make the broad assumption that everyone should be like this. Rather, it puts us down where we exist, shines a light and says, God's glorious goodness is so different than this. We just call it holy, which means different. And so that's what it means to be a person is we're just, we're completely different than God. We're materially different. Even though there's some, some semblances, some remnant of what it is to, to carry the image of God in us, it's all corrupt. We're all in Adam. We all seek after ourselves. Why I, just, I love John 3, 16, uh, 17, 18, and 19, which says that we loved the darkness more than we loved the light. Which means if you put light and dark together, we of our natural state would sprint towards the darkness and have no interest. In fact, we would be angry at light. If you put God's goodness and glory in front of a, a natural man unimpacted by God and you put the world's sinful conditions, the, the natural person would just want for sin and be disinterested in the things of God. It's why we have to be told in Scripture not to, not to use God's name in vain, not to curse with God's name. Not meaning just to use some simple potty word that takes a, a, a movie from G to PG. Meaning to use the very name of God to, do, to describe injury and anger and frustration, to use His holy name in a way that is is violent. Why would we want to do that? Why is that the natural inclination of a person? Why is it the unredeemed person would hear songs of glorifying God and become just frustrated and angry 
It's the natural condition of a person. Psalm 32, 1 and 2. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. Not that, not that there is no iniquity in that person, but God does not count that as iniquity. That person is blessed because in, in everyone is sin. Every single one of us, none seeks after God, no, not one. None is righteous, no, not one. And yet where God allows us to be seen positionally as righteous, as New Testament believers, because of Christ, he sees us in Christ, we are blessed by that. Staying with Psalm 32, verses 10 and 11. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. This is the person whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Sin being covered doesn't describe there was no sin. It describes that it's hidden, it's put away. There's something laying over top of it. It's being obscured, it's being buried. It's a fresh mound in your backyard that people look and they're curious. I haven't seen your wife in a few days. Hebrews 11, verse 7. By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this, he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. See the sandwich there? You're not going to miss that this is by faith. You're not going to think that, that Noah must have been particularly good. You're not going to think that in Noah was no sin. And if there's any confusion on that, wait till you see the rest of the story when they land on dry land. Willie knows where it's headed, because at this point, he's still awake. By faith. That's the answer to the question. How was he righteous? How was he blameless? How did he walk with God? The same way you do. By faith. Nothing's changed. The way that we interact with God did not change from New to Old Testament. Always. By his grace through faith. Now, what that faith is exercised directly in, the object of that becomes Christ. But it's always in the promise. Even before Christ, before Christ was fulfilled, before Christ was made present, we were still hoping in the redemption that God would offer through his grace by faith. Nothing has changed. In the book of Hebrews, chapter 11, verse 7, bookends Noah by faith. This is commentary. This is, is scriptural commentary that we get on Noah's blamelessness and righteousness. Perhaps without it, we'd have to guess. I think we'd come to the same conclusion, but we don't have to because scripture tells us. I don't have to go to Lifeway, pick up a few boxes of scripture mints, and get a Joyce Meyer book to understand why Noah was blameless. I can look to Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 7. Because God would not allow this to escape our attention. It's important. We see as New Testament saints, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 21. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin. So that in him, we might become the righteousness God. We become the righteousness of God because of Christ. It's no different than the way that Noah was righteous. It wasn't of his own accord. It was by God's grace. We find Noah in that book of Hebrews with some 15 others who live by faith. 
including other names that you might recognize, like Abel and Enoch, Abraham and Sarah, Isaac and Jacob, all by faith. Joseph, Moses, Rahab, Gideon, all by faith. By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear. We don't hear fear or reverence spoken about quite a lot. I don't. Maybe you do. I think we do well to speak more about reverence and the fear of God. In the world that we live in today, it would seem that there is no reverence. There's counter-reverence and fear of God. Forget it. We've pedestaled ourselves as the smartest thing ever. We have trumped our own creator with our knowledge of ourselves. Being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen in reverent fear, he constructed an ark for the saving of his household. Can you imagine the ridicule and the mockery? This this world in this day, God was ready to judge because the people had no concern, no room for God whatsoever. We talked last week about the Nephilim. It wasn't just a disinterest in God. It was a direct working against God, trying to pollute what God was doing, trying to pollute the lines that God was putting into the world. And the lines that God is putting into the world, we've said that the book of Genesis doesn't answer your every question, which doesn't mean you can't dive into it and try to figure out many things. You absolutely can and you should. Scriptures themselves say to test all things. We don't have a faith that hides from the truth. We don't have a faith that hides from the historical record. We don't have a faith that speaks about wars involving people that never existed like the Mormon faith does. We don't have a faith that talks about animals on continents where those animals have never been like the Mormon faith does. We don't talk about a book that you can't see the original manuscripts of because you have to have a secret hat and look at golden tablets like the Jehovah's Witnesses do. Our God has been gracious and wonderful and merciful to us to give us the scriptures that we can test to see if they're so. And Noah was unshook by the world around him, who almost certainly mocked his every move of every day. You know, he was probably building an ark for 50 to 70 years. A 600-year-old man with a team of eight Unless you imagine his father and his grandfather were alive during that time. Perhaps there were some others helping. Maybe they hired some worldly help. Who knows? Maybe a couple of the Nephilim could have been helpful carrying the uh, gopher wood for a a few bucks on the side. He believed in God's word. Now, did that mean he never wobbled? I don't know. Did that mean he never kind of felt like, gosh, today was pretty lame. I wish it hadn't been that way. The scriptures define him as a man of faith towards events yet unseen. But he trusted God's word. Charles Spurgeon said on faith, the faith which accepts one word of God and rejects another is evidently not faith in God, but faith in our own judgment, faith in our own taste. What does he mean by that? That the the whole of God's word is God's word. And so if we're to parse it up and decide what's true, decide what's of God, and decide what's not, we put ourselves in the place of God. That's no faith. That's not faith. That's deciding for ourselves what we might like. We can't be trusted to determine for ourselves what is true. If you determine truth for yourself, your world would be insane and terrible for you. 
it would be all of the worst things for your relationship with God. It may be wonderful on this earth. It may not. Um, you know, the, the Bible, I detest the phrase basic instructions before leaving earth because it's not basic instructions before leaving earth. If you apply biblical principles and it makes your life on this earth a little easier or a little better, if it grows your business, if it makes your relationships at the office easier, if it makes your boyfriend or your girlfriend like you more, if it makes your husband and wife get along well, that's great. And it might do that, but it might not. And that doesn't change anything. Obedience to God's word is still paramount. If obedience to God's word puts a strain on your marriage, strain your marriage. If obedience to God's word makes it hard to live in your home because of disobedient, resistant children, put a strain on living in your home. Romans 14, 23. But whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats because he is eating, because the eating is not from faith, for whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. Whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. 1 John 3, 4 helps us understand this concept of sin. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. As we continue to chase down through the scriptures, well, what does sin, what does sin look like? Where does sin come from? It's our own desires. It's things that are already in us. It's like the shingles virus. If you've ever had chicken pox, which if you know me, the concept of shingles terrifies me, right? Because if, if, if you've had chicken pox and you're a little kid, you know, you're one of those people that has the scar on you somewhere like I have, then at some point your skin's going to feel like it's on fire just because you had the itchies when you were a baby. Sin is similar. It's just, it's in you. It's there. It's present. It's part of your, your flesh and who you are. Paul described himself as having a, a weak flesh. The spirit is willing, right? Ready to charge the day. Go out there and not sin. Take on the world. Be an ambassador for Christ. Be a wonderful example to the world around you. And then you go outside. And for me, it starts the moment I get in my car and I back up and I hear that, boom, boom, I've ruined another bicycle, right? Or I look back at the house and the garage door is open because Someone has left their scooter in the way, so the door just bounces and it goes back up. Or I pull out of my neighborhood and, and somebody cuts me off. Clearly, they don't know who I am. Or they're going 25 in a 25. Is anything worse than doing 25 in a 25? Jesus said, if you've hated your brother in your heart, you're already guilty of murder. Think about what he's saying with that. Murder. I said before, and I'll say it again, if you have resisted placing your hands around someone's neck and squeezing the ever-living life out of them, God is not impressed by you. He's really not impressed that you haven't murdered someone. Christ talks about the very root of what murder is. Is it's, it's the motivation to do that very act. And I have that motivation several times per day. Which means I'm already guilty of the sin of murder before a holy God. There's no way out for me. I'm in sin. I am out of relationship with God. But Christ. And that's what makes Noah be blameless and righteous and upright, and walk with God, is faith in God to deliver him from himself. And we get to see that object of our faith more clearly in Christ. We get to see that object of our faith play out throughout the 66 books of Scripture in situations not unlike the ones that we live in every single day. I mean, if you're, if you're chewing on this word, if you're digging into this word, I promise you it comes alive. I don't know, if you read a reading plan, if you don't read a reading plan, it's the most amazing thing. Um, I, I like the McShane reading plan when I'm doing a Bible in a year. I don't do that every year, but I like the McShane plan. It puts me in, in four chapters a day through the whole year, reading Psalms and Proverbs twice and the whole Bible once. And invariably, in a given year, 
I'll know seasonally where I'm at, right? I'll know when it's cold outside, I'm going to be in the wilderness. Um, and then I'll see different things in the scripture or something will be happening in my life and, and, and that scripture will work out. Its application will be different than it was the previous year. The scriptures are alive. And depending what's happening in your life, they're alive, they're sharper than any two-edged sword. They cut to the division between soul and spirit, bone and marrow. And they will grow our faith. And I think that's what we see in our 500 and some odd year old friend, Noah, still growing, still growing. Can you imagine? Progressive sanctification can take more than 600 years Noah's three sons we become introduced to in verse 10 very quickly as a footnote are picking up from earlier in chapter 5 and verse 32. God, remember, this, this telling, this book of Genesis is not about exhausting everything that happened in history. This is not a history textbook. This is the arc of the story of God's redemption of humankind, both why it's necessary and how it's going to happen. And it grows our faith as we look at it. It grows our faith as we experience it. It grows our faith as we observe it. So why two mentions of this line? Because through this line, God is going to bring Christ, all still found in Adam. And you're going to be reminded that God's patience has a deadline because he's about to judge the earth with a flood and eight people will survive. Just in case you had thought back and said, well, you know, if we had another chance after Adam and Eve, we probably could have done better because we are aware of what happens when you fall away from God. And God said, okay, here's eight new ones. Go again. Second Adam. And so we get this picture of the three sons, like many prominent patriarchs across Scripture, we see the three sons that are born to them. And this gives us everything that we need to rest the total weight of our faith on God. Everything working against the plan of God to bring about Christ. Everything. Angels interrelating in some way. We gave three or four versions of that last week with our study of the Nephilim. Working to pollute bloodlines to stop Seth from ever being born or to stop any purity in that line through which Christ would come, where Abraham would come. And God sees fit that we know exactly where these people came from. Tells us twice in the book of Genesis before the flood that Seth survives. Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight. And the earth was filled with violence. And God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way on earth. And so people would say, well, why would God judge with a flood? Why, why would God be so cruel? Can you imagine what, what day-to-day life must have been like? with people living hundreds of years, knowing exactly how to take advantage and manipulate others, with angelic beings, demons, interfering with life to try to make the worst of the worst kinds of people inhabiting the planet. Can you imagine the fear that it must be to walk on the face of the earth in a world where everyone is just seething with constant, unbridled hatred? Without a government system like ours, without a policing force, perhaps, without heavily heavy laws to stand on, what would that world be like? If you have something that I want, I now have that thing. You do not. Verse 13, And God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh, for the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them, with the earth. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark. Cover it in the uh, inside and out with pitch. This is how you are to make it. The length of the ark, 300 cubits, and its breadth, 50 cubits, and its height, 30 cubits. Make a roof for the ark and, and finish it to a cubit above. And set the door of the ark on its side 
make it with a lower second and third decks. For behold, I will bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh, which is in which is the breadth of life under the heaven. Everything that is on the earth shall die. But I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall come into the ark. You shall bring two of every sort of ark, to, or every sort into the ark to keep them alive with you. They shall be male and female. What we, what we do with the other 68, I'm not sure. Of the birds, according to their kinds, and of the animals, according to their kinds, of every creeping thing on the ground, according to its kind, two of every sort shall come into you to keep them alive. Also take with you every sort of food that is eaten and store it up. It shall serve as food for you and for them. Noah did this. He did all that God commanded him. This is why he's spoken of in Hebrews 11 and verse 7. By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this, he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. Noah was in this world described by God as completely corrupt of this tiny little family. Eight people, maybe a couple more. In a world full of violence. And this warning from God, these instructions from God, inspire in Noah to live in these conditions for some time working to build this ark. And you would imagine that, you know, these sons, they're going to grow up. They need to be of age, at least, that they're going to have wives. Some of the timeline overlaps. It's, it's imperfect because the book of Genesis doesn't try to answer our every historical question. But there are some timelines in there. So you can find, say, 50 to 70 years um, of construction happening. God said he was going to judge the earth within 120 years already anyway. So somewhere in that timeline is the span of time that's happening here. And so they are off to work to build this ark. If you look back to Genesis chapter 5, you know, for further study, going back, there's plenty more that we're burning over. You can study the construction of the ark, the number of cubits, how large it may have been. You can go to Kentucky and see what those guys have done at the Creation Museum. Um, but again, the book of Genesis does not work for us as an historical textbook. It's a reference point. It gives us all that we need. There's plenty of threads to pull on. Genesis 5's genealogy um, lets us see that Noah's pap was alive but died before the flood came. His dad, Lamech, had died perhaps five years before that. Right, So there's ten people anyway that are a part of this family. Don't know if they're a part of the building project. God gives instructions on how the ark is to be made in verses 14 through 16. Gives some reasoning why. Here's the kinds of things that you're going to be doing. I bet some of those birds were a little sketched out by the head count. If they're supposed to be two of each kind, I feel like there's extras. So if you're a bird of certain kind, you want to be on your best behavior. And you want to be at the bottom of the pen. I believe. Genesis chapter 6 and verse 18. God says, But I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall come into the ark, you, your sons, your wife, and your sons' wives with you. This is the first mention of covenant, of a covenant of any kind in Scripture. God says he will enter into a covenant with Noah. And we'll see the description of that covenant in a, in a few chapters. I think it's chapter 9. This is even more evidence of the inspiration for Noah's hope. Noah didn't have hope because he was an idiot. Noah had hope because he trusted promises from God. He didn't get to see them yet, but he knew who God was, and he knew that God could be trusted. You see, this is the exact opposite of what happened in the garden, where themselves and their logic was trusted over God in his word. 
In fact, a lot of what Noah is doing at this point is anti-logic. A flood is coming with water over the earth. I mean, if you, if you look at it, there's a lot of reasons to question, well, what does that even mean for them? Right? They're not in a time where there's like afternoon. It's not like Florida where you know it's going to rain every day at 2 p.m. at the beach. Noah is acting only on faith. Now, he doesn't know a lot of what is being described to him. He just knows that he can trust God. He walks with God. He's seen as upright with God. Looking ahead, we see in Genesis chapter 6 and verse 22, Noah did this. He did all that God commanded him. Chapter 7. Then the Lord said to Noah, Go into the ark, you and all your household. For I have seen that you are righteous before me in this generation. Now, I don't know, some percentage of us aren't from this area. Some percentage of us are very deeply from this area. And some of us moved here and lived half your life here. So most of us understand the phrase of laying down roots. Um, I've always been a fairly transient person. This is probably one of the longest places I've lived somewhere. I think I've been here 13 or 14 years. So I feel from here enough that I understand what you guys are saying when you say weird things. Um, but I also understand the kinds of roots that you have. And I don't even think you realize it. But when I, you're from here and I ask you about something, it's like you're speaking in the past to me. No one ever tells you where something is relative to the store that exists there now. They have to go back in time and tell you about the store that used to be there. And I don't understand this fetish with you all. Um, hey, uh, where's the sandwich man? Uh, well, it's down the road past the old Gander Mountain. All right. So you mean giant. Old Gander Mountain is giant. That's what's there now. You don't have to say what used to be there. No timelines needed. You see, if you just reference the building that's there now, I know because I can see it. But for whatever reason, if it's a matter of pride, if you just want to be the keeper of historical record, you, you tell me by the old everything. It's insane. I don't know what's wrong with you. Now imagine Noah, 600 years old. You want to talk about roots? This guy's been here for a long time. This is a big ask. You know, you, you hear about people that have never been on an airplane, so they've never traveled very far from where they live. And in this day and age, you're like, that's insane. How have you not been on an airplane and gone somewhere? How about Noah? Anywhere he's gone, he's, you know, maybe ridden on some beast of burden or walked. He's not been very far from home. Now God is saying, not only have you been here for 600 years, I'm going to ruin it now. I'm going to flood everything. I'm going to put you on a boat. You don't even know what that is, but I'm going to put you on one. I'm going to flood the earth. You don't even understand the concept, but I'm going to do it. I'm going to kill everything and everyone you know, except for the animals that you're going to bring on this boat with you and float around with all the food that you guys are bringing. It is so easy to minimize his faith, but this is monstrous. You want to talk about an old dude set in his ways? He's 600. Like, you think your grandfather's stubborn? Try being 600. He's commanded in verse 2 to take with you seven pairs of all clean animals, the male and his mate, and a pair of the animals that are not clean, the male and his mate, and seven pairs of the birds of the heavens also, male and female, to keep their offspring alive on the face of the earth. For in seven days, I will send a rain on the earth for 40 days and 40 nights. And every living thing that I have made, I will blot out from the face of the ground. And Noah did all that was commanded him. Noah was 600 years old when the flood of waters came upon the earth. And Noah and his sons and his why and his excuse me, Noah and his sons and his wife and his sons, wives with him, went into the ark to escape the waters of the flood, of clean animals and of animals that are not clean, and of birds and of everything that creeps on the ground, two and two, male and female, went 
into the ark with Noah as God had commanded Noah. Two and two went into the ark. I think it's one of the few things that children's books and painters have gotten correctly. You know, you, you see the picture now, you see the big ark, for whatever reason, it's standing up completely proper on the ground, maybe some real minimal supports, this monstrosity. Big ramp is coming up and the animals are just lined up, walking on, right? I mean, in my mind, that's totally real. Uh, you know, you, you think about it, uh, I, I just don't see Noah like running around trying to trap these animals. And people really struggle with putting animals on the boat. I'm like, I struggle more with God creating everything from nothing. I struggle more with God looking at an earth that's formless and void and commanding it to be all things that exist. If I can start believing that, then everything else becomes, gee, I wonder how he did it. But I see it and I know it's true, right? It's, it's not a, did God really say, well, let me think about it with my human logic in 2022 and whether or not that could have happened. Um, so I think it was uh, animals of their own uh, desire walking up on the boat. And there's Noah and the fam getting to see everybody. I mean, think about how did Adam name all the animals? Are they parading by him? He just named them. And, and people struggle with, well, you know, um, what do you do? How, how do you keep two, you know, how do you keep two animals of prey from attacking one another, right? Destroying each other on the boat. How do you feed a lion for this much time? Um, I, I don't know. You know, I really, I don't know. Neither does anybody else. Anybody who says they know is a liar. So excited to see the end of that story someday. But at the same time, I think I'll be completely disinterested, right? You see the angels uh, singing in the heavens and all, they seem to have the, they're like a hill song, right? Except they just keep saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, right? Uh, it's like the inspiration of every Tomlin song, a G chord and holy. Plenty of people have groped at trying to understand that. I've heard people say, well, maybe the animals were in a trance. I don't know. Maybe the animals were in a trance, man. Maybe they went to take a great big nap. Bears do it every year. Maybe they did. Maybe they just fell asleep. Uh, maybe they were just kind of cool with each other for a bit. Maybe God made that happen. Certainly he could, right? Uh, God could stop things from fighting each other. Um, maybe the babies came like that. I mean, I've always thought that was a pretty compelling argument, right? If you're going to throw a couple of lions, how about some cubs? You know, they're playful and they're cute. They're like toddlers, right? You know what they're going to be, but they're fun for now. One major lesson is that God's patience has an expiration date, and it will not be allowed to trump his plan. We also know that for each of us as individuals, that it's appointed to all of us to die. We all have an expiration. There's a point where we're just going to click off. And that's my hope. You know, if I get a vote in the thing, it's while I'm asleep peacefully, no struggle. I'm just gone. And they're like, what happened? I don't know, but he didn't struggle. Just stop breathing. He was gone. That's, that's kind of what I'm excited by. But God's patience has an expiration date. And Scripture tells us that um, every tongue will confess every knee will bow. And maybe you hear, I talk about people with beer muscles, right? Maybe you know the concept, maybe you don't. Uh, but people that just get a little cocky, kind of pop off at the mouth. Usually the butt can't write the check, the mouth is cashing, right? Or the butt can't cash the check, the mouth is writing. You get it? So maybe you've heard someone say, you know, I'd rather be in hell, I'd party with so-and-so. That's not how this works, okay? Or... Um, I'm just going to, you know, get saved on my deathbed. You don't know when it's going to happen. Right? It's not like you get a bunch of warning signs. Maybe, maybe you do. I don't know. Um, we were talking to a, a young man in New Mexico one time, and a buddy of mine was like, wow, dude, it sounds like you're a pretty terrible person. Is that concerning? He said, no, I'm 21. You know, I'm just I'm going to live a life. I'm going to have some fun, and, you know, maybe I'll settle down one day. I don't know. And then my buddy went to work at this company uh, in New Mexico. He's like, hey, you remember that guy that we talked to downtown the one time? And he was like, I'm 21. I'm partying. He's like, yeah. He said, I work with him now. I was like, that's crazy. Cool. Are you going to talk to him? He's like, yeah, absolutely. He's like in the same area as me. And then I remember talking to my buddy a couple days later. He said, dude, did you see that story in the paper about the car accident? I said, no. He said, that's the guy that we talked to. That's how it happens. That's life. It's fast. Comes at you quick. God's patience has an expiration date, and so do we. This ark created over a period of 50 to 70 years, this consistent 
witness of Noah seemingly bared no fruit, just proving why the judgment that God, God brought on the earth, he brought on the earth. Everyone had every opportunity to understand God in his goodness, but they love the darkness more than the light because that's what people do. And so God tells this story of preserving the faithful family, preserving this lineage, still with the connection back to Adam, so we wouldn't think that there was some kind of new race of people, preserved through this Christ type, if you will. Noah is a, is a type of Christ, part of, the, part of the, the foreshadowing of all the things that are going to come. Pointing forward to the line pointing forward to Moses, pointing forward to the Sethites that would bring Abraham, that would track through to Christ and ultimately bring the fulfillment of God's promise that we already saw in Genesis chapter 3, the proto-evangelion, the, the pre-gospel, the promise that he was going to conquer sin, that the serpent, that the enemy, that Satan, that the deceiver is not the ultimate winner. This is for a time that God will allow it so that people would see his goodness and his grace and his mercy in his plan and or on Christ and be redeemed. Romans chapter 2 verses 4 through 5 reads like this, Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? But because of your in penitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. Or Second Peter chapter 2, verses 8 through 10. For as a righteous man lived among them day after day, he was tormenting his righteous soul over the lawless deeds that he saw and heard. Then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and Keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment. And especially those who indulge in the lust of defiling passion and despise authority, bold and willful, they do not tremble as they blaspheme the glorious ones. We should not confuse God's patience with lack of care. Time and time again, we see God constantly engaging in the lives of people, um, impacting what's going on. It's not that he doesn't care, it's that he's giving time. He's giving time for the fullness of his plan. He's giving time for each person to have the opportunity for repentance, and that time will stop. And so here, God's patience has reached its peak. And so there's another opportunity Genesis chapter 9 and verse 1, looking forward, God blessed Noah and his sons, and he said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Sounds like the command that we saw to Adam in the beginning. So what do we learn? And why would a good God do all of this? We know that by God's grace and the fullness of time, he'll create a new heaven and a new earth populated with those who lived in a sin-sick world, us, the kingdom, the new heaven, the new earth, that have all seen a world that doubted God, seen its ramifications, and will now live as people redeemed together in Christ. By his grace, God gives us a way through faith to restoration and calls people into that grace. That's the reason that we're here. If God just wanted us to live together in new heavens and new earth, he could just suck us up and do that. But he leaves us behind with a job. And the job is not to just get fat, dumb, and happy. The job is not to just enjoy the spoils and let the people around us die and rot in misery forever. The job is to enjoy him and share of his goodness and grace and enlighten those with what we've been, by grace, allowed to see to share the gospel, to share the good news, to share of Christ, to share of his grace and mercy, not to streak away from a world that demands to put themselves in the place of God, a world that demands to determine what's right and what's wrong, but to share the truth as salt and as light. That's a balance. That's two sides of the same coin. 
In Genesis chapter 7, we see that Noah did all that God commanded him. And so God restores humanity, providing a way for the line of Seth to point to the future Messiah Christ. Though he flooded the earth, he created a means for each of the two kinds of animals who came and went willingly onto the boat. And so this is a demonstration of Noah's faith that brought about salvation that we can take courage from. Noah's faith should strengthen ours. That's why it's mentioned in Hebrews chapter 11 with the 15 examples of faith. And that passage starts like this, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. So I pray that we would be assured through the story of creation and now in Genesis chapter 7 of the flood and by the example of Noah and his saving faith that was forged as he operated in obedience to God. I pray that we would be the same. It may look different, may not be a global flood. In fact, it won't be because of the rainbow, which exists as a promise that God would not judge the earth by flood. But our faith should grow day by day as we come to trust God more and more. So that's my prayer for us. I pray that we be salt and light. I pray that we hold up a banner of truth to the watching world around us. Um, and that we live in an active faith that builds and grows over time. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the many examples of faith that you've given us, those that you called out in Hebrews 11, but also throughout all the scriptures and throughout uh, the, the, the church fathers and throughout the, the history of the church. And God, we thank you for your word that you give us a, a consistent word that's never changing, God, that's always true, that never goes back on itself, that never corrects itself, God, because it's of you. And so we're thankful for that. God, I pray that if anyone in the room this morning has not repented, turning from their sin, trusting in you, trusting in Christ's goodness and grace and mercy, his atoning work on the cross, and that he then becomes who you see and why they're righteous. I pray that they would turn from trusting in their own way, that they would turn from their sin, and that they would turn to Christ for forgiveness. God, for those of us who have known you for a time, I pray that we're re-encouraged in the example of Noah. God, that we, that we desire to function more from faith and less from fear, more from excitement in who you are and more for an example of a watching world around us as we joy in you, God. It's in Jesus' precious, holy, and righteous name we pray. Amen. Please stand.